You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 7 Trent and Kyle were having a difficult time with Cody. He was in and out of consciousness, suffering from shock and infection, and who knows what else. They got him out of the lab and a few feet down the hall toward the stairwell before he slipped out of the sling again. Leave me here, he moaned, resisting their help. I'm no good without this foot. I'll never play rugby again. Newsflash, Trent said, trying to maneuver Cody into the sling. Rugby sucks. You suck, Cody barked back. By the time they reached the third floor, they had abandoned the sling altogether and were trying to do a human crutch hold with Cody. But he would shriek in pain each time his foot grazed the floor. They took a brief rest at the third floor landing. What are we going to do here? Trent asked. I'm not risking my life, he began, but didn't dare finish aloud. Kyle looked out the murky window of the stairwell. The skywalk is about 20 feet from this door. We could drag him, he said. And then what? Trent demanded. Kyle ignored Trent and scooped Cody up like an infant. He summoned every ounce of strength and with a hearty groan backed out through the stairwell doors, his face turning purple and the veins bulging in his neck. As he was about to head for the skywalk, he caught a glimpse of something on the floor poking out of the classroom doorway. An impulse urged him to investigate. Squinting, he could make out a head with spiky, dark hair. He laid Cody down and ordered Trent to get him over the skywalk. Kyle ran to the classroom where Sid was unconscious on the floor. There were students drifting around inside the classroom, their heads nodding. Kyle couldn't make sense of it all. What the? Kyle said, dragging Sid out of the doorway and into the hall. He had no idea what happened and there was no time for an investigation. Kyle threw Sid over his shoulder and ran back toward the skywalk. He wondered how they would now carry two people over the skywalk. But as he reached the hall, there was Cody, all alone, still lying on the floor. Trent was nowhere in sight. He took off, and so should you, Cody yelled to Kyle, wincing in pain on the ground. Just go, Cody repeated. You were going to leave me anyway. I heard you and Trent. Kyle ignored him and tried to drag Cody while keeping Sid over his shoulder, but it was impossible. Kyle was barely able to move him an inch. Help me, Cody, Kyle begged him. Drag yourself. But Cody fought and resisted. Kyle pulled at his jacket at the throat in a last-ditch effort. Cody started throwing punches at Kyle. Leave me alone, he roared. I'm sorry, Cody, Kyle grunted, dodging Cody's swings. I'm sorry about what you think you heard, but we can talk about this later. Go, Cody demanded. And that's when they heard the first explosions on the ground floor. Come on, don't be stupid, Kyle pleaded, but Cody fought him harder. Kyle released Cody and lurched over the skywalk with Sid still over his shoulder. The explosions moved upwards. Boom, 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 boom. As his foot finally fell upon the floor in Connery Hall, the entire skywalk groaned, giving way to a deafening chorus of twisting, screeching metal and exploding glass. 
Kyle stumbled but quickly got back up and fled with Sid flung over his shoulder. He didn't waste a moment looking back as the skywalk plummeted three stories to the ground, taking with it the walls from both buildings where it was attached. Chunks of concrete and glass exploded through the air. Kyle ran for a stairwell with the thundering chaos behind him and raced down to the bottom floor. He half expected that building to go down with its neighbor. To Kyle's surprise and relief, he stumbled upon Gil waiting at the back of the trembling building in the clouds of dense smoke with a campus security golf cart. Get your masks on, Gil yelled, and get in. The first thing Sid remembered after having been knocked unconscious was being thrown unceremoniously into a golf cart by Kyle while the rest of the world exploded around them. Kyle then forced a mask over her head as Gil took off toward the arena. The thick gray smoke was rolling outward from the explosion, engulfing everything in its path. There was zero visibility as the little cart zipped through campus. Where's everyone? Sid yelled into Kyle's ear, adjusting her mask. Gil pushed the pedal to the floor. They're safe, he said. Kyle turned his face away, hacking. And Cody? Sid screamed over the roar of the debris cloud. Who has Cody? Kyle didn't answer. No, she screamed, then struggled to get off the cart. The golf cart lurched dangerously to the side. Kyle grabbed her and held her in a bear hug. Stop, he shouted through his mask. We tried. The cart weaved through the campus behind the buildings, dodging trees and fences that materialized from the undulating mass of dust. They were almost there, a hundred more yards, and they would be at the front of the arena. Just then, a military jeep came roaring out of the billowing clouds of smoke and debris, crossing right in front of the golf cart, forcing them to slam on the brakes. The whole cart came up in the rear, almost dumping them out the front. Kyle took the note out of his pocket and stuffed it into Sid's coat pocket. No, Kyle, no, she cried, but he pulled her out and practically threw her behind the cart as he reached for his weapon. Go now, Sid, get out of here. After a moment's pause, she tore off backwards into the smoke cloud they were trying to escape. She could hear fighting behind her what sounded like blows with a baseball bat or club of some kind. She stopped to catch her breath and considered going back to hell. But instead, she kept running. Inexplicably, she was running toward the implosion. Where am I going, she thought to herself. I must be crazy. But in her heart, she knew exactly where she was going. Even as Gil was driving to the field house, she felt it, like she was going in the wrong direction, the direction away from Ben. Her mind was toggling back and forth like a weather vane, the arrow spinning round and round in hurricane force winds. Please let Kyle get away, she thought. What if my Ben is dead? What if my dad is dead? She stopped to look around for a moment. I'm going to get myself killed. Her feet brought her back to Connery Hall faster than they'd ever taken her anywhere. Truth was, she wasn't even sure Connery Hall was there anymore. She couldn't see six inches in front of herself as she stumbled over low bushes and crashed her shins into wrought iron benches. At one point, she even traipsed through the muddy duck pond, but thanks to those landmarks, she knew exactly where she was. Sid reached the back of the building and the door was locked, but the glass had been blown out. She crawled through, 
the foot-long shards of glass scraping against her scalp. Oh, damn, she swore aloud. She ducked into a restroom at the end of the corridor, trying to get her bearings. She caught a bit of a reflection in a cracked, dusty mirror and was momentarily horrified. She looked like a ghost, completely covered in white dust with a single stream of blood coming from her scalp. She remembered what Gil said about the biological agent being in the dust. The thought of all that dust on her clothes turning her into a soldier zombie completely freaked her out. She shook out her hair and frantically dusted off her clothes, being very careful not to loosen her mask. Kyle said to make sure she didn't take off her mask. If she breathed in the dust, she might never find Ben. Ben. Sid reached into her pocket and found the note Kyle gave her. She held it for a moment, then unfolded it quickly. Dear Sid, they said to write a note to our loved ones, and so I'm writing this to you. She crumbled up the note and stuffed it back into her pocket. No, she thought, he can't do this to me now. She had to hold it together. For all she knew, Connery Hall might have been the next on their demolition list. She could have had minutes or seconds. Every tiny noise around her made her jump. She turned her thoughts to Ben. Ben, the tall, introvert conservationist who hid his disarming good looks behind a scruffy beard. Ben the guy who held her face when he kissed her, who never ever raised his voice. The guy whose hands were shaking the first time he asked her out. Ben, the guy who never lied because lying was for people who were afraid and he had no fear. Unlike herself. Ben was the guy for Sid. She made up her mind about it long ago. No note from some guy she met a few days ago was going to change her mind. Even if that guy was devastatingly sweet, but intoxicatingly commanding. Not to mention honest, decent, and respectable. Also unlike Sid. With Ben, Sid was safe. No way did she want to start over with someone else. She couldn't imagine having to explain to someone new why she never slept at night. Or let herself be a passenger in anyone's car. Why she never drove over bridges or flew in planes. Ben understood her anxiety and took care of her. He'd seen her at her worst, in the grips of full-fledged, middle-of-the-night panic, and never made her feel like she was a drag. A guy like Kyle wouldn't want to deal with all of that. Politicians were all about their image. He wouldn't like the real me, she thought. She shook it off exited the restroom and shot across the hall to the only open door, one of the professor's offices, in search of a weapon of some kind. Dusty books, PC, printer, some framed family photos. Even the chair was on wheels, so she couldn't break off a leg. Then she saw it, propped up behind the desk, a wooden walking cane. It was a hardy wooden cane with a polished bird atop the handle the perfect tool for rearranging zombie soldiers' faces if necessary. Sid hoisted it up over her shoulder, fondling the little black bird. The cane was much heavier than it appeared. She went from room to room, poking her head in to see if anyone was still in the building. The building groaned and trembled, reminding her that it was probably structurally unsound after the implosion next door. She had to be quick. Stealthily, she crept down the hall, dodging behind doors when she heard any movement. 
It's just the building settling, Sid told herself. There's no one left here. Another giant rumble, a bellow of some kind. And then running, a girl screaming. Sid hid behind the door of an office and held her breath. She watched the girl attempt to outrun a group of recruits in uniform. They're sweeping the place, Sid thought. The girl, her face covered in a scarf, ran as fast as she could but suddenly lost her footing. She went down with a thump and they pounced. Sid closed her eyes and heard them swarm on her, then move on. I should help her, Sid thought, but she was not a fan of her odds. Assuming they had gone down the hallway in the other direction, Sid emerged from behind the door with her cane. And there they were, five of them, standing directly in front of her in the hall. Before they had a chance to react, Sid started swinging the wooden cane wildly back and forth across their faces. The sheer velocity of the cane knocked them back, but it was as if they felt no pain. Their skin bled and tore their skulls cracked, but the pain just wasn't registering. They continued to come back for more. Sid took one more violent swing, hitting one in the temple, and blam, he went down to the ground like a sack of potatoes. The others came at her without pause. With all her might, she took the cane and, like a battering ram, heaved it into the chest of the guy in front, sending them all back a few inches like bowling pins. Then she ran like hell. The building was almost unrecognizable from all the smoke, debris, and general ransacking that had taken place. She didn't know how or if she would find Ben in the chaos, but she had to try. Sid knew his classroom was on the third floor, but had no idea which room. Economics of third world countries, environmental policy, sustainable community action? She couldn't remember and wasn't sure she ever knew. How could I not know his schedule, she thought. She was sure he knew hers by heart. Why would he even be in the classroom he was supposed to be in when the first bomb hit, she thought. She wasn't anywhere near the classroom she should have been in. If Ben was looking for her where she was supposed to be that morning, he wouldn't have found her anyway. Sid was in the cafeteria, buying something she shouldn't have been buying. There was a real possibility that Ben was long gone and Sid was chasing her tail. Sid took the steps two and three at a time, counting them all the way. 29, 30, 31. She reached the third floor and blam, smashed into a girl in the hallway trying to get to the stairs. Ah, the girl shrieked. Possibly terrified of Sid in her homemade face mask and biohazard gear. It's okay, Sid told her, pulling her into a classroom. You can't go outside like that, she told the girl, rummaging through her bag for something to make into a mask. She found a t-shirt and tore it in two, then wrapped it around the girl's face. The air's unsafe. My best friend, she ran ahead. Did you see another girl? She asked. She was talking about the girl from downstairs, the five against one girl. Just go, forget about everyone else and save yourself, Sid told her. You'll need a weapon, she added, scouring her bag for something that might suit. The girl looked harder at Sid. You're Sidney, aren't you? You're Ben Forrester's girlfriend. Sid's breath caught. She lifted her mask up over her forehead. You know Ben? Where is he? Have you seen him? Is he okay? She said, shooting questions at her like machine gun fire. He's gone, the girl said. Sid slumped. He's dead, she asked. I don't know, she began. Ben's in my anthroling class. Anthropological linguistics, Sid remembered. 
How did I not know that? The day of the bomb, our professor was out sick, so we all went to get coffee in the calf. Ben saw you with that girl with the tattoos. He was really upset. You left, so he went after you, so I went to my next class, she said. That was the last I saw him. Sid felt a mixture of crushing grief and shame. The girl's words repeated over and over in Sid's brain. That was the last I saw him. Sid remembered Joss's body after the blast. She imagined Ben in the same condition and pulled down her mask. And if he was alive somewhere, by the grace of God, his last impression of Sid was that she was a liar. A liar and quite possibly a junkie. You have to get out of here, Sid said to the girl. Is there anyone else in this building? She shook her head sadly. It was just me and my friend, she said. Go to the field house. Do you know where it is? Sid asked. The girl nodded. There are more of us there. You'll be safe. You're not coming? She asked. Sid shook her head. Go to the field house and find Dr. Gilberger and Kyle Brenner, she said. Tell him Sid sent you. They'll keep you safe, Sid said. I have to find Ben. There's one more place he might be. But he's probably, the girl began, but Sid cut her off. I'm gonna check the greenhouse, Sid told her. They ran back down the stairs. Run like hell, she said. The girl nodded. They got down to the first floor and Sid peeked around the smoky corner. There were no signs of the recruits. Even the one she clobbered was gone, along with the girl they attacked. Sid signaled to the other girl to move on three. She held up her fingers and counted. One, two, three. Sid covered for the girl, watching her bolt for the side door and disappear into the dust cloud. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.